Well, good morning again. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 1. <clears throat> Today we will begin a series on Christian spirituality in the Psalms. And uh, before we read Psalm 1, I, I want to say a few words about the series itself. Uh, first, we'll be studying through the book of Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are a collection of 150 psalms or poems, mostly prayers. Uh, the, the Greek word psalm actually came to mean simply a song. And so this uh, book is the hymn book of the Old Covenant people of God. Uh, the book of Psalms are 150 songs of Israel. Uh, I'll sometimes, as we go through, I'll sometimes refer to the book of Psalms as the, the book of Psalms. Uh, sometimes I'll probably call it the Psalter, which just means the exact same thing. Sometimes I might refer to the psalmist, uh, and by that I just mean uh, the writer of whatever psalm that we happen to be talking about at the time. Uh, there are lots of psalmists, lots of writers of songs in Israel. David wrote a good number of the psalms, uh, at least 75 of them, which is just a little under half. Um, but there are also at least six other writers or groups of writers that are mentioned in the psalms. So there are a number of people, and of course, dozens of the psalms are anonymous and don't even tell us who, who wrote it. Um, sometimes I might also, as we talk about the Psalms, mention the compiler, uh, which uh, by that I just mean the person who collected these 150 Psalms and put them together in this order. Uh, someone did that at some point for some reason, and it, it too was under the guiding providence of God. Uh, the compiler uh, or collector was no less uh, inspired than the psalmist himself was. Um, and so sometimes I'll mention the compiler as well. Uh, second, let me say we're studying selections in the Psalms, uh, meaning we're not going to look at every Psalm. Uh, we're going to look at about 23 of them over the next six months or so, uh, selected from throughout the book. Uh, I, I've, I've not necessarily chosen the most well-known Psalms, uh, though we'll hit on some of those, Psalm 1, for example, Psalm 23, uh, but I've chosen Psalms that will help teach spirituality, Christian piety. Uh, that is, what does a devotional, the devotional life of the Christian look like? Uh, what does it look like to walk with God in the midst of daily life? And in one sense, every psalm could be used for that, uh, but I've tried to choose those psalms that put that in the foreground or highlight some specific aspect of that in some way. Now, all that said, uh, Psalm 1 is a bit unique even among the psalms. Uh, unlike most of the psalms, which are obviously prayers and directed to God, Psalm 1 is a number, uh, one of a number of wisdom psalms. And so let's, uh, let's turn to Psalm 1 together. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Our Father, we come again to hear from you, uh, to hear from your word. Uh, we come to delight in it, to enjoy in it, and most of all, to delight in the grace that we find in the Scriptures, uh, to delight in Christ. And so we pray that even as we read Psalm 1, that you would show us your grace and show us your Son, uh, that we would feed on Him and be full. And uh, Father, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, 
and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I think uh, life for all people is a search, a quest for happiness. You know, call it what you will, the, the search for the good life or the blessed life or a quiet life, uh, the search for success or meaning uh, or just trying to live the dream. Uh, people are looking to find happiness, fulfillment, peace. And one word which summarizes all of that in the Bible is the word blessing. People long to be blessed, uh, to feel, to know, to enjoy a state of blessedness. And this morning we are going to look at Psalm 1 and see that blessing comes as we delight in the law, looking to Christ uh, day and night. And we're going to break that down into three points. You can see them on the back of your bulletin. Uh, First, we're going to talk about delighting in the law. Uh, And and we're going to look at the the means of delight and consider Psalm 1 in itself. Uh, Then we're going to talk about looking to Christ. Uh, We're going to look at the object of our delight and consider Psalm 1 as it relates to Jesus. And then we're going to talk about day and night. uh, or We're going to look at the practice of delight, how we are to delight in God and His Word day and night. And we'll consider Psalm 1 today. So first we're going to look at, uh, talk about delighting in the law, the means of delight. Uh, There are three things that Psalm 1 tells us about blessing in and of itself, which is uh, the the source of blessing. It tells us where blessing comes from in verses 1 and 2. Tells us about the character of blessing, what it looks like in verses 3 and 4. And then it tells us about the trajectory of blessing or where it's all going in verses 5 and 6. And the source of blessing starts out right in verses 1 and 2. Psalm 1, which is the first of the Psalms, uh, gets right to the point, right? The book of Psalms opens, blessed is the man who, right? Uh, Where does blessing come from? Well, uh, Psalm 1 is going to tell us. Uh, The world will tell us lots of things, right? If you want something, you have to take it. Or if you want to be happy, uh, just follow your heart. Or if uh, you want to make it in life, uh, sometimes you're going to have to get your hands dirty and do things that you really don't want to do. Or if you want to be happy, well, just don't bother anyone and they won't bother you. Just live and let live. The Bible, though, uh, consistently says two things about uh, the blessed life. uh, And they're both here in Psalm 1. Uh, First is, don't listen to the wicked, don't listen to bad counsel, and second, listen to God's voice. Uh, So verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, You'll notice there's a progression in this verse, really a double progression here. First, from walking to standing to sitting. Uh, Now, that doesn't seem like a progression at first, uh, but it is. It's a progression of one who is beginning to settle into a way of life. At first, there's just a few actions here and there, then a lifestyle, and finally a settled disposition, an identity. 
Uh, second, that the, the, the counsel of the wicked leads to the way of sinners, and finally, the seat of scoffers. Here you have a progression as well from counsel, advice, right, thoughts, to actions, the way of sinners, right, the, which is a way of life, a path, a way of living, and finally, a settled identity, the seat of scoffers. Uh, this is, for the psalmist, the worst place to be because one is not just listening to the advice of the rebellious, nor even just taking their advice, but he or she has begun to mock those who differ and to so identify with the wicked in their ways that every other way, especially the way of the righteous, becomes silly, a joke, and an object of scorn. And so there is this progression from uh, occasional advice to adopting a way of living to seeing one's self as part of the group and looking down on all who differ. This is a warning for the psalmist, right? As, as Proverbs puts it elsewhere, uh, beware, right, of the, the tempter. Beware of the wicked woman, the temptress in Proverbs. Or as Moses puts it, uh, when you get into the land, don't inquire of their ways. Don't ask how they worship their gods. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived, bad company, ruins good morals. It may, be, uh, it may start as a harmless flirtation with bad advice, but it can easily lead to a whole new identity in mocking the people of God. And so the psalm starts out saying, don't, don't go there. Uh, don't listen to uh, them. And two, listen to God's voice. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man is the one who delights in God's law. Uh, now, don't be distracted by the word law. Uh, law is the Hebrew word Torah, and it can mean a simple command. Uh, it also means instruction or teaching. Uh, oftentimes, it really refers to all of God's teaching, as I think it does here. Blessed is the man who delights in God's revelation, who delights in God's word, who meditates on it day and night. This certainly includes God's commandments, of course. It includes his instruction uh, for us. So Joshua 1.8, uh, uh, maybe a familiar verse to some of you. Uh, God says to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Uh, see, blessing comes, uh, according to Joshua 1.8, blessing comes from meditating on God's law, on God's word. And so what we have here in verses 1 and 2 is really two sources of counsel. There's the counsel of the wicked on the one hand, and there is the counsel of God. And the question for us is, on, on which have you set your heart? Uh, whose voice, whose counsel? Are you listening to? Now, this psalm, having been placed right here at the beginning of the Psalter, uh, the, the, the compiler, I think, particularly meant uh, for us, meant for us to meditate on the Psalms. Right? So he's saying, in essence, blessed is the one who meditates on this book. Uh, do you want blessing? He's asking. Well, meditate on the Psalms. Let them be your delight. And so as you read further, we move on from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2 to Psalm 3. The psalmist is encouraging us to meditate on these words, to consider them, to delight in them. Uh, psalm 1 also tells us uh, not only about the source of blessing in God's word, uh, but also the character of blessing in verses th 3 and 4. Uh, 
says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now here uh, the, the psalmist starts uh, positively with the one who delights or meditates on God's law. And first notice, notice this word planted. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Whereas uh, verse one describes a man slowly planting himself in the seat of scoffers. Uh, the one who delights in God's law, the one who is meditating on scripture has planted himself by streams of water. The result is the, the flourishing of this tree. And the, the, the picture that he gives is a picture of flourishing. Uh, while we will flesh out the details a little as we go on, there's a danger, I think, of, of uh, defining too narrowly what the psalmist is talking about. Uh, if we, say, identified the, the fruit narrowly with the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament or the leaves with some other specific aspect of life, we would be limiting the picture here. The point is the one who listens to God's voice flourishes. He or she is fruitful, and despite the coming of drought, the leaves remain green. Right? Flourishing is the idea. This imagery is picked up in Psalm 92 later on in the Psalms, uh, which says the righteous flourish like the, like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. See, those who meditate on the word flourish. What's the contrast? The contrast is there in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. This is actually a really striking contrast, uh, or it should be at least for us. One of, my, one of my favorite sayings, favorite eulogies. Can you have a favorite eulogy? I don't know. Uh, but one of my favorite eulogies was uh, given by Bono for Johnny Cash. And uh, Bono said something like, uh, in a world full of daisies, he was an oak. Uh, it's a great metaphor uh, because it's unexpected, right? You, you, you expect daisies and roses, right? Or daisies and tulips or daisies and some kind of other flower. But to compare a daisy to an oak, right? It shows the, the weightiness, the enormity, the strength and the endurance of Johnny Cash uh, compared to the silly and showy and flitting transients of most musicians. This is actually what the psalmist does here. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams, bearing fruit. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, chaff is a bit out of our experience. It's what's left over after you get the good bits out of the grain. Uh, it, the closest thing for us, uh, for most of us, is, is when we eat peanuts. Right? You, you know, when you eat peanuts, uh, you, you crack open the peanut shell and you get the peanut out and it has this paper thin coating on it. Right? You know, some people eat that and some people throw it away. Uh, it, it's nothing really. It's just there. You can take it or leave it. It's irrelevant. Um, if you want to put the peanut paper in your hand and it, it, if you give it a good blow, right, it will fly away because it's so inconsequential. The blessed man is an oak, solid, settled, firm, strong, healthy, flourishing. The wicked are not even compared to a sick tree, but to peanut paper that blows away in the wind. He is anything but secure. Listen to the way Psalm 52 puts it. 
Psalm 52 says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. See the, the, the end, right? The, the wicked will be uprooted. He is not secure, whatever he might think, whatever things might seem. Yet the psalmist goes on in Psalm 52, verse 8, that same psalm, to say, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. See, whatever else might be said of the wicked, security is not his. He is not like a tree at all, but like the chaff. So what is the, the character of blessing? Well, the one who delights, flourishes, secure, firmly rooted, drinking deeply of the streams. The wicked appearances, be as they may, are ready to be blown away at any moment. Which, of course, brings us then to the trajectory of this blessing in verses 5 and 6. And, and really, the psalmist says in two different ways that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. When judgment comes, he will be found out. He will not have a place among the righteous. On the other hand, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's kind of a curious phrase. Uh, he knows their way. We keep running into this word in the past few weeks. Uh, God knows all things, right? But he, he knows every way. But he has this intimate knowledge of the way of the righteous. And in some ways, as the only self-existent one, to know their way is in some sense for their way to last, for it to be secure forever. God knows. He knows them. He knows their way. But God will say of the wicked, I never knew you. And so the way of the wicked will perish. So the main point of this psalm is that blessing comes through delight in God's law, delight in God's instruction, delight in God's word. Human flourishing comes from meditating on God's truth. The only secure, stable life that will last is the one planted deep in Scripture. Blessing comes as we delight in God's law. Second, looking to Christ. So we're going to look at the object of our, our delight and consider Psalm 1 as it relates to Jesus. The, the, the Psalms, in general, are all about Jesus. Uh, every single one of them, from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. Uh, not because every psalmist had Jesus in mind when he wrote, but because the truths expressed in the Psalms have their preeminent fulfillment in Jesus. David was the author of many of the Psalms. He was the king of Israel and the anointed one. He had a, a great, 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 great grandson. And he too became the king of Israel, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. But not for a season like David, but forever. Many of the Psalms are about suffering and troubles. The servants of God suffer again and again. But Jesus suffered once for all at the cross. And so the truths expressed in the Psalms find their culmination or their greatest reference in Jesus, in his life, his death, his resurrection. It's clear here because Jesus 
is the blessed one. Right? No one delighted in God's law more than he. He learned the lesson that Israel was supposed to learn in the wilderness, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Hebrews 10 puts the words of Psalm 40 on the lips of Jesus. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. If anyone delighted in and meditated on and kept God's law, it was Jesus. He even challenged his uh, opponents to point out even one sin in his life, which they could not do. But this gives us pause. Did Jesus flourish like a green tree? You know, the, the language of flourishing, of, of fruit and leaves, is, is vague. And we tend to fill it with what we want it to mean. I want my life to be easy. I, I want to be healthy. I, I want to have self-parenting kids and to always have money in my bank account and to be free from trouble. And so I define flourishing as such. And then I think, well, that must be what God is promising me here in Psalm 1. But then we get to Jesus. His life was not so easy. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. His own family thought he was mad. His hometown tried to kill him. The religious leaders plotted murder uh, against him. He was betrayed by one of his 12 closest friends. He was accused by false witnesses, wrongly condemned, beaten, mocked, and put to death. This doesn't sound like flourishing to me. Which may just mean that we've read Psalm 1 all wrong. I mean, while life is not always, does not always seem to play out as Psalm 1 says, this may be exactly the point. There, is more, there are more lament psalms than any other type of psalms in, in the book. So out of the 150 psalms, the majority are lament psalms. That is, mourning, crying out in anguish. So why put Psalm 1 at the head? I think Psalm 1 is an affirmation that whatever things might look like at the moment, things will work out for God's people. But only when we read this in light of the cross does everything begin to make sense. The cross comes before the crown, death before resurrection. But the resurrection is coming. We see Jesus raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now there was a moment when Jesus was not blessed when the Father abandoned him on the cross and he felt the full weight of the curse of sin that we deserved. Nevertheless, after his suffering came glory. After the cross comes the empty tomb. And, and I would say that Jesus is for us the picture of flourishing both now in heaven as he sits at the right hand of the Father and during his troubled life. The resurrection is the trajectory of blessing, right? That's where it's all headed for God's people. But even during his life, while his family rejected him and his enemies plotted against him, Jesus was still blessed. How can we say that? Well, because he walked closely with his father. He knew the love of his father. He knew the care of his father. Even when the world didn't go his way. You see, even for those whose life does not go according to plan, if their delight is in the law of the Lord, they are still blessed. 
This is what Jesus taught, is it not? Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. How can that be? How can it be blessed to be persecuted? Well, Jesus says, because theirs is the kingdom. They shall be comforted. Their reward will be great in heaven. See, Jesus wants us to look beyond this life. Christian spirituality is focused on blessing, but not the blessings of this life, the blessings of heaven and of the life to come. Now, don't mistake, right? Those blessings may be experienced in this life, but they are not of this life. That's, that's, there are, that's a difference there. Uh, rather, they are the blessings of communion with the Father now and everything that flows from that, peace and joy and more, as well as the resurrection life to come. And so Jesus is the one who delights in God's love and becomes a fruitful tree. But Jesus is also the one whose word gives us life. Jesus himself is the living word of God who comes to give life. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he pours out his spirit on us as the living water to give us life. This is what he says in John 7. Jesus cries out in the temple, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But once Jesus was glorified, he pours out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And of the Spirit, Jesus said in 4, John 4.14, 4, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Notice that the echo of Psalm 1 here, the one who meditates, delights in God's word, will be like a tree planted by streams of living water. Where do those streams of living water come in? Well, when Jesus is glorified and he pours out his spirit, that, we might, that our thirst might be quenched. And here's the point. Jesus is the living word, the one on whom we meditate and find life. And to be in Jesus is to be planted by streams of living water. It is as we delight in him that we flourish. It's important to say this and to say that Scripture is the means and not the object of our delight. Uh, I want to be careful here, uh, but uh, what I mean is this. I have this friend who has a blog where he reviews Bibles. Uh, not Bible translations, but physical Bibles. He reviews things like the font and the paper thickness and the cover and other design features. I'm not even kidding. Uh, why do I bring that up? Because delighting in the law of the Lord, delighting in God's word, is not delighting in such things, as fun as they are. But neither is it simply delighting in the text itself, right? The, the turns of phrase or the intertextual links or even the fulfilled prophecy or the grand sweep of the narrative. All of those are wonderful. But that is not the heart of delighting in God's law. What is it about God's law, God's word, God's revelation that is our delight? Why might we meditate on it day and night? 
Put simply, because in God's law, we hear from God. We see God. We know God. Yes, God's word reveals our hearts. Uh, yes, God's word reveals the world as it really is. Yes, God's word reveals the way of salvation. But ultimately, God's word reveals God. And of course, none of these things is any more clearly displayed than in Jesus. And to meditate on God's word and to miss Jesus is to miss out on God's blessing altogether. This is what Jesus warned against in John chapter 5. Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Friends, you, you can read the Bible, you can meditate on the Bible, you can memorize the Bible, you can know the theology of the Bible, you can debate the Bible and de defend the Bible, but if you have not Christ, it does you no good. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Blessing comes as we delight in the law, looking to Christ. And three, doing that day and night. Um, let's talk about the practice of delight for a moment. Blessing comes as we delight in God's word and so look to Christ. Uh, Psalm 1 calls us to meditate on God's word day and night. This call to meditate, again, is throughout Scripture. Uh, we mentioned Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Uh, Psalm 63, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth uh, will, will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 77, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The Hebrew word uh, meditate means uh, something like to mutter. Uh, the idea apparently is to go over something again and again, even repeating it out loud to yourself so that you appear like you're muttering. Most of us know uh, well how to meditate, actually. We just don't realize that we do. In fact, most of us meditate every single day. We call it worry. <laughs> worry is when you meditate on your problems. Fear and anxiety sink into your heart as you mull them over again and again. The psalmist is calling us to meditate on God's word, to mull it over, to think about it, to consider, to repeat it again and again. Right? It's one thing to read scripture. It's another thing to meditate on it, to let it sink in. All of us know the experience that you've, you've been reading a book and you're, you're flipping the pages and then all of a sudden you realize, my mind has been somewhere else and I don't think I've read a word that I've read for the past three pages. And you have to go back until you remember the last thing you read and then start reading over again. Right? Reading is one thing, meditating on is another, thinking about, considering, mulling over, letting it sink in. As we go through the Psalms, let me encourage you to meditate on the psalms throughout the week. Uh, we're going to actually put the next week's psalm uh, in the weekly email and in the, the announcements in the bulletin uh, so that you'll know what psalm uh, is coming up next. And let me encourage you, right, read through that psalm. Meditate on that psalm once, twice, every day if you want, right? Go through that psalm. 
spend time not just reading it, but meditating on the passage. Um, and when I say meditate, again, I, I, don't, I don't mean uh, clear your mind of all things. That's the opposite of biblical meditation. I mean focus your mind on what the psalm says and what it teaches. Uh, when I meditate on Scripture, uh, sometimes I use uh, kind of a process, a six-step process. Uh, maybe I can put that in this week's email for those who are interested. But the point is not to use a method necessarily or a, or a process or any such thing. The point is just to consider it to mull it over, to rest in the gospel as we find it in Scripture, as we think about it again and again and apply it to our lives. There's a kind of corporate aspect to meditation as well. Uh, we read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, again, a famous passage in Deuteronomy 6 where Moses says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does Moses want there? He wants God's word to be the center of our thoughts. He wants us always to be talking about it. He wants us to find ways to remind ourselves of it and remind one another of it. Uh, some of the Jewish people literally write it on their doorposts, as Moses commands, and would at times keep little copies of the Torah in boxes on their foreheads so they could keep it as frontlets between their eyes. Now, that may be a bit more literal than Moses meant, but the goal is to remember, to consider, to meditate, not just during your quiet time for an hour in the morning or 10 minutes in the morning, but as you sit and as you walk, as you lie down and as you rise. This is, by the way, why memorizing Scripture comes in handy, right? It gets God's Word into our hearts, as Psalm 119 says. But it also means that we can meditate on it at any moment, right? We can bring it to mind when we need it. We can be ready to speak it to a friend when they need to hear it. And let me challenge you as well, as we go through the Psalms, uh, I have chosen actually quite a few short Psalms. There are some long ones, as you know, but there are some short Psalms as well. And I've chosen a number of shorter Psalms. Take time to memorize some of them. Uh, Psalm 1 is only six verses. That's pretty short. Uh, Psalm 13 next week is also six verses. Uh, they would be great psalms to memorize, great psalms to, to grab hold of and, and take into your soul. If you're going to do that, right, take your time. Don't, don't rush it. Don't feel like you have to get the whole thing at once. Memorize one verse at a time. Do it slowly. Uh, remember, memorization comes through repetition. And uh, when, I, when I go to memorize a new verse, I read it out loud 10 times uh, with feeling. Uh, just read it again and again. You don't read it monotonously, right? Or then you'll never memorize it. You won't want to memorize it anyway. Read it with feeling, right? Read it out loud. Read it 10 times. And then I try to say it 10 times out loud with feeling, you know, peeking back when I get stuck. And the point is, after I'm all done, I've said it 20 times out loud, right? That's, that's how you memorize. It's just the hard work of knuckling down and saying, okay, I'm going to read this again and again until I get it. Um, sometimes you write it out. You know, that writing helps people remember as well. And then when I, when I learn a new verse, the next day I go back and review whatever I, whatever I uh, learned the day before. As you do that day after day, right, you will find God's word coming to mind without even thinking about it because it's become a part of you, because you're taking it in. You're learning it, you're meditating on it, you're memorizing it. 
And just think about the difference it would make in our lives if God's word, especially the gospel, were always on our mind and in our heart. If we meditated on grace and not our worries. Well, what difference would that make? Well, it wouldn't mean that all your problems would go away. Remember, uh, Jesus, as the preeminently blessed man, still faced severe troubles and trials. But it does mean that God is our refuge in trouble, and so we need not fear, Psalm 46, in the midst of those trials. It means we need not be anxious because our Father knows what we need, and we remember that, Matthew 6. It means we would not mourn as those who have no hope, 1 Thessalonians 4, because as Jesus died and rose, so we will die and rise. Now, I can't fix your circumstances, but the gospel offers communion with the God of heaven now through the reconciling work of Jesus and a resurrection life to come on the last day. The gospel offers the blessings of sins forgiven, relationship with God restored, and a hope that overcomes death, and many more. Of course, that hope that overcomes death is the trajectory of blessing. Uh, for some, Jesus will say, Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But for others, Jesus will say, according to Matthew 25, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those who know Jesus now through the gospel, through the scriptures, those who trust in him are those whom Jesus knows. Let your delight be in the gospel. Meditate on it day and night, and you will flourish in Christ, both in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would, uh, that you would teach us, teach us to delight in your law, teach us to meditate on it day and night, teach us to, to memorize it and hide it in our heart and take it in and own it, most of all, to be owned by it. Teach us in all of that to delight in Christ and the gospel and your grace which comes through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.